1: Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today's show is featuring a topic that I personally find fascinating. It's connecting not only Native Americans, but people of every background with some of the oldest therapeutic linkages in the world. We're talking about connecting with nature and particularly with animals. And uh, actually, one particular form of Animal Life. We're talking about horses and equine therapy today. To give us some expert insight and some very exciting cutting edge information is Danae Mitchell. Danae, it's great to have you with us.
2: Thank you, Dr. Rose. It's an honor to speak with you today.
1: Danae, I learned about your work when I was at a national meeting. I was attending the American Public Health Association meetings in the uh, fall, winter of twenty fifteen. And You were out there. You were presenting material on equine therapy, but you're someone, before we jump into your research, you've got a fascinating background in research and some very interesting connections with horses. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are.
2: That's right. Thank you, Dr. DeRose. I have to credit where I grew up as one of the main inspirations to how I got in involved with equine therapy. I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and that is uh, very rural, and I had a horse growing up. And during that time with my horse, I had wonderful experiences, and I had a strong bond with him. And when I moved to Philadelphia suburb area, I started volunteering at Sebastian Riding Associates, which is an equine therapy facility that offers equine therapy for people with cognitive and physical disabilities, and now the Writing Free program. And so that's how I got started with, uh, you know, developing the Writing Free program. And uh, the research aspect is so important. As far as research experience goes, I have about twelve years research experience in. Different areas in the pharmaceutical industry, in um, the NCI, and currently at the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, where I'm employed as a research study associate
1: so you've got some of these high powered research connections, NCI is the National Cancer Institute, right right and you've you've worked in industry, you've worked with like you said, the pharmaceutical industry, but you bring this interest in natural methods of healing, especially in connecting people with horses. What did you observe at uh, Sebastian that got you excited about doing research?
2: Well, I have to say, um, I started volunteering there, and I worked on Wednesday nights with a wonderful team. And as a volunteer, I started to see how these individuals who have disabilities such as cognitive disabilities, maybe autism, or something else on the spectrum, or maybe someone with physical disabilities in a wheelchair, et cetera. And I just saw them and all they could do at Sebastian. And you know the perceived limitations that society places on individuals like that were totally shattered at Sebastian. Hmm. Those limitations did not exist, and I was so inspired that while I was uh, in the public health program at Arcadia University at the uh, Community and Global Public Health uh, Department, when I was there as an MPH student, um, I shifted gears of my research and my studies into equine therapy. So that's how I got started there.
1: Very good. So basically, you were in training. You were getting your master's in public health, and now, am I understanding correctly that You finished your degree some time ago, and Arcadia asked you to stay on as adjunct faculty, right?
2: That's correct. Um, I graduated in 2013, and a year later I came back as an adjunct professor um, to instruct program planning and evaluation, which is actually um, the two courses that I used to develop the program myself when I was there as a student.
1: Tremendous. So basically you're involved in uh, the teaching role, you're involved in actually developing research projects, analyzing them. And just to give us this this big picture, you and I have talked some in advance of the show, but we've mentioned several times Sebastian Writing Associates. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, because they're from all over the country, from the lower 48, from Alaska, I mean, we have people internationally that listen. Some of them are saying, Sebastian Writing Associates, what is that and where is it?
2: Sebastian Riding Associates is in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. They opened up in 1975, and they just celebrated their 40th anniversary, which is amazing. And they focus um, on programs and a healthy approach to growth and rehabilitation through equine activities and riding. They offer camp. Their mission is to improve the quality of life with their students. Um, and in the lessons, not only do the students learn to ride, they groom, they, they learn how to tack and care for their horse. And during that process, the students really bond with their horses, and they gain the sense of confidence and empowerment along with that. And that's something that they do on their own that's hard to um, achieve anywhere else, you know, with that type of activity. So it's really special, and it's very dear to my heart. And Sebastian Writing Associates is just wonderful. Christine Hannaberry is past certified. She is the lead instructor and really um, the lifeline of, of the program. She's the boots on the ground and is there for the students as she um, goes through the program with them.
1: Now, there's another term that's sometimes used in research circles, uh, and that term is hippotherapy. Now, to a layperson, that would sound like you're working with large African animals, but that's not right. <laughs> what that term refers to, is it?
2: No, no, you're right about hippotherapy. That does sound something that, that you would be working with large African animals. But now, hippotherapy is actually physical therapy on a horse. So um, the instructor would use a horse, and the student would go on top of the horse, and they may try different stretches. Um, you know, depending on their ailment, whether it be cerebral palsy or um, different things that maybe cause imbalance in their gait or the sides and the muscles of their body. And by riding and doing these different stretches, um, the students gain strength and balance. So it's really amazing.
1: So basically, you have background at sebastian working there as a volunteer i mean we're going back in time now Mm -hmm. you're you're working there you're seeing these amazing things you're seeing people with cerebral palsy getting help you're seeing kids who have autism you're seeing adults who have various challenges whether they're physical or mental and at some point along that process you say this uh this really deserves a formal research study And you pick out a particular diagnosis, don't you, that you want to look at?
2: Absolutely. Um, One thing that, well, two different points I'd like to make. Um, First of all, one thing that's lacking in in equine therapy is um, interventions to address mental health. So there Mm. are a lot of programs out there and actually a lot of research for hypotherapy and even equine therapy when used with people on the spectrum, autism, Asperger's, and such disabilities like that. But um, it's amazing when you see the benefits that equine therapy provides. A lot of it has to do with mental things. So why not mental health? Um, Mm -hmm. And in order to get to the need in the community, we held focus groups at Sebastian to go and decide what is the greatest need in the community. And um, my second point is, as far as research in equine therapy in general, there's a huge gap. And my goal with this pilot study is to first establish the intervention and the research, and then to go on and have uh, a larger Scale research study. But it's so important to have good research methods for um, equine therapy programs. There are a lot of passionate people out there who, who run programs and do great work, but we really need the research to show that.
1: And I think for lay people, many of them will say, well, why do you need to spend all this money, all this time on research? My neighbor went over there, their child got so much help. I'm just going to send my kid there. But for those of us who are professionals and for those uh, uh, programs that are looking for some kind of assistance from insurance and all, these research questions are very important, aren't they?
2: Absolutely. I think you've really hit the nail on the head um, when it comes to insurance companies. So research is really needed so that we have policies um, where insurance companies will cover equine therapy for various ailments. Um, Currently, it's possible, but it's very difficult to get insurance to cover hippotherapy. But as far as anything else, so whether you're talking about equine therapy for PTSD or equine therapy for autism, it's very, very difficult if completely impossible to have insurance cover that. And cost is the biggest barrier when it comes to equine therapy.
1: Well, one of the things that you mentioned as we're going through some of the mental health diagnoses is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is something that we focused on in the past on American Indian living. Of course, that's been grabbing a lot of headlines, uh, especially in the area of military uh, operations and some of our our veterans that come back with PTSD. But we're hearing a lot more about it when we talk about homeland security and some of the things Mm -hmm. that happen right at home and how people can uh, have long-term consequences from a variety of events. You took a special interest in this area, didn't you?
2: I did. I originally was interested in developing a program that addresses PTSD because my dad is a Vietnam veteran. Um, and it, it just really has a special place in my heart uh, to help veterans. So originally, I had developed this program, or I had thought about developing this program for veterans. But when we had those focus groups that I mentioned before, we've really found that there was a gap of coverage for children. Hmm. So many people you know, quickly come to think of veterans for PTSD, but many people don't know that children are sadly affected um, with this PTSD and they suffer from trauma. Most of the time, unfortunately, it's due to abuse, but it could also be due to, you know, environmental factors such as a fire or a hurricane or, you know, unfortunately a school shooting, Mm. um, which unfortunately are becoming more prevalent and there's really a big gap, not only with equine therapy and children with PTSD, but children with PTSD in general. Um, it's fairly new, um, and we really need a lot of research for to help children uh, overcome PTSD.
1: Well, let's just talk a little bit about the diagnosis before we talk about some of the exciting information you have about treatment and your research. If someone's listening to today's show... Would they know if there's children around in the community, at a tribal gathering? Is there some way that you would likely identify someone who had PTSD?
2: Yeah, so unfortunately, sometimes in schools, PTSD symptoms are mistakenly taken for autism symptoms or ADHD. Um, many times that's because sometimes children with PTSD display um you know, kind of an, an aloof mentality. Hmm. They they lose focus. They um, generally start to score lower in school, and um, they have a low, low self-confidence, poor or remiss decision-making. Uh, many times they are antisocial, and they have very little interest in doing anything social. Uh, they're uninterested in doing things that previously made them happy or they had interest in. Mm -hmm. Generally, they could be angry. They could display mistrust in people. They can be fearful of new things. They could be intimidated. Um, They could feel inadequate or undeserving of happiness. And um, one of the things really that can get bad is the anger, and Mm. that can lead to violent episodes. Wow. Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, Danae, this is hitting close to home. I think everybody can relate to some young people with these issues. we got to step away just for a minute. Danae is not just talking about PTSD. She's sharing solutions, potential solutions, and uh, we want you to stay by. Some exciting information about how horses can make a difference. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Danae Mitchell is staying with me. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
0: Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Danae Mitchell. Danae Mitchell, my guest, featured on today's show where we're speaking about equine therapy. We're talking about this exciting opportunity to use another natural or some would say a complementary a strategy to address common illnesses. We've talked about a variety of them, but we're honing our focus now on something called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Danae, as we were closing out the last segment, you gave us a pretty exhaustive list of some symptoms that may be seen in a child with PTSD. Just give us a quick glimpse of maybe a child you've met who had PTSD, and how they presented, just to to give a little bit more practical feel for the condition.
2: Sure, absolutely. So um, I'd like to talk about Johnny. Of course, that's not this child's real name for for privacy reasons. But um, Johnny came to Sebastian Writing Associates to start the writing Free program. And Johnny was, I believe he was 10 years old, Mm -hmm. and he was very, very, I would like to say, overconfident. Um, and was quick to anger and was quick to shrug off activities because i would say he seemed to be too good for that hmm. so let's just get started with Johnny on his first lesson so Johnny comes and you know he knew he's never ridden horses before but on his first lesson he knew how to put on a saddle he knew how to, to groom he knew this and that about horses and And at one point, a horse that he was working with um, stepped on his toe. Well, we all know that whenever you're working around the barn or with horses, you have to be careful of things like that because accidents will happen. Um, So Johnny's foot was stepped on, and he was very upset. Now, it was really just on his boot between you and I. The Mm -hmm. the horse just stepped on his boot and not his toe but um, he used it as an opportunity to kind of act up. And we had said to him, now, Johnny, we would like you to ride this horse. Let's call the horse Casey. Even though he scared you and you're now afraid of Casey, we would like you to ride Casey so you overcome your fear of him. We said that in kind of different words, but that was our our theory behind um, that lesson. So eventually, Christine Hanaberry, the the therapist for the program, uh, she was great. She encouraged him, and eventually Johnny got up on that horse like nothing had ever happened. And as we're riding, Johnny's riding around, and um, he was holding Chris's hand during the riding. And, you know, you have to remember this, that this boy was very overconfident, and, you know, he knew how to do everything already, and, oh, he wasn't going to do that because he knew how to do it. But once he got on the horse, he had so much trust that he had developed with Chris. He depended on her, and he would not let go of her hand while he was riding. And she asked him, now, can you let go, and can you ride with your hands up in the air? And that's to build up confidence. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. you know, it took him a while, but he was able to do it. So that's just one story out of many where you see children come in with um, different characteristics and how easily those, um, let's say, Unhealthy coping skills are broken down, and then healthy coping skills are built up, such as trust and, uh, you know, overcoming struggles. So those are just the very um, small things that have big effects Mm -hmm. with equine therapy. Mm -hmm.
1: So basically, you've given us a picture in the story of Johnny of someone who uh, isn't wearing a T-shirt saying, I was abused as a child or I survived a school shooting, or I was in a fire, or survived some natural disaster. But you're seeing these behaviors that are symptoms of a mental health disorder, of PTSD. We may not label it that, but you see that it's responding to the equine therapy, as you shared that uh, that wonderful story with us. So you're having these experiences. And by the way, maybe we should just step away for a moment, because... Off air, I mean, our listeners didn't have a chance to hear our dialogue, Danae, but you were sharing with me some of the recent things that are coming across your desk. Just speaking about Native Americans and the the big interest in First Nation peoples with equine therapy, especially because of some of the historic connections with uh, horsemanship, at least in many parts of Indian country, and then some of the high rates of PTSD. We have very very patriotic. Native peoples throughout many tribes, a lot of them end up in the military in very uh, high proportions, and some of them come back with PTSD. So this is really an area that's getting attention in the research literature, especially for First Nation peoples, correct?
2: Yes, absolutely. I just read an article from spiritualityandhealth.com com. It's on research done by Greg Urquhart on Native American individuals and PTSD and how likely they are to have improvement from traditional therapies compared to untraditional therapies, as you mentioned, complementary therapies, um, and one of those being animal therapy, which equine therapy is. Um, So the article says that Native Americans have the highest rate. Of military service out of all the U.S. racial groups and the percentage of Native Americans was greater than all other racial groups and Native Americans according to the article their spirituality is intertwined with spirit mind and body and like I said before Western medicine doesn't really address these things Mm -hmm. and 72 percent of the respondents of this research reported that spiritual or religious treatments were successful or highly successful compared to 60% of Native American veterans who had tried Western therapies and had reported no improvement or they were very unsatisfied. So I feel like equine therapy is very promising, especially in the Native American culture, and there's research that shows that.
1: So let me see if I understood those figures right because those kind of went by quickly for me. So when they're interviewing Native Americans with PTSD, 72% of them felt that interventions that included some kind of spiritual or religious component helped them. Is that is that the first figure?
2: Yes, that is correct.
1: Okay, and then that second figure, if something didn't include those elements, 60% of them said they didn't get help. Right. Okay, so it's, so it's nearly double. So we're talking about 40% improving or responding to things that don't include that spirituality or broader component, and 72% of them getting improvement or feeling they're making progress when that's included. Yes, absolutely. And so to kind of bring that back to the equine therapy, some people would say, well, that doesn't sound like spiritual, but it's definitely talking about this holistic approach where we're connecting with nature, connecting with other living things. Is that kind of the parallel they were making in the article?
2: You you've got it. Yes, that's absolutely what they were trying to convey. And it reflects my belief too that society today, you know, we're all so busy, we have our technology and and we've really grown distant from nature and spirituality and I think um articles like this really kind of prove that or or show that that is true. Um and it it's just really important to me that that we as a culture get back to appreciating nature, um, connecting with nature, connecting with others, and really having more of a part in your local community, et cetera.
1: So you've got this broad wealth of experience. You grew up riding a horse, owning your own horse. You've seen the benefits now. Up until 2013, you were in school doing your master's in public health. During that time, you're volunteering at Sebastian. You're seeing these amazing things happen. And out of that fertile ground grows this idea of a research project. Tell us what you actually ended up studying.
2: Sure. So um, as I had said earlier, we held some focus groups early on um, to see what the need was in the community. And that's how we ended up with the need being having a program for children with post-traumatic stress disorder. The writing group program itself is designed for anyone, adults or children, but we really felt there was a need in the community, so that's how we went this way, for children. Okay. And what we studied specifically are quality of life, post-traumatic stress symptoms, mm-hmm. and locus of control. And locus of control is something that you may be less familiar with, and that really... Is showing your belief on external factors and internal factors in your life. It's kind of hard to explain and may take some time. So we can focus more on the quality of life and PTSD symptoms.
1: You know, since we've mentioned that a little bit, I was just in the clinic the other day with a patient and she was talking about someone making her angry. And I stopped her and I said, Did someone make you angry or did you choose to be angry over that situation? Is it safe to say that locus of control is dealing with that realm, whether you feel like you're in charge of your life or you're being controlled by other things? Is that somewhat at the the heart of it?
2: Yes, I think you summed it up perfectly. That is, it Oftentimes I, I relate to or I try to convey the same meaning to locus of control as you did. It, it really does depend on that.
1: And, and, and the reason why I pause is because I think it really is an important issue that you're looking at because when people have mental health issues, often they feel like they're a victim. And so you're mm-hmm. going gonna to be looking at this in the research. But believe it or not, Danae, this clock just keeps running, and we have got to step away once again. I'm talking with Danae Mitchell. We're speaking about some exciting information about equine therapy, how horses can make a difference in mental health, not only in Indian country but beyond, and especially how it can impact kids. You don't want to miss our next segment. We're coming back straight up with more from Danae Mitchell. Don't go away.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. So, you want to be a hero? Here are some ways to get the job.
3: Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders
4: and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's Kids Getting Fit.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr.
1: DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. You're back with us for our second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. We're speaking about Equine Therapy, How Horses Can Make a Difference, and we're especially focusing on an exciting research project that's being coordinated and led out by uh, Danae Mitchell. Danae has developed what's called the Riding Free Pilot Study. Danae, we're just learning about that study. We've gathered so far that it's focused on children who have post-traumatic stress disorder, and you were walking us through a little bit of how you designed the program. Tell us a little bit about how you formulated it, what kind of mission you had for the program, what kind of goals you were uh, thinking of when you developed this writing-free approach.
2: Okay, I'd be happy to. So the mission of the Writing-Free program is to improve the quality of life and lower PTSD symptoms in children. Actually, I should correct myself. The mission of the research is to improve the quality of life and lower PTSD symptoms in children, but the program itself can be applied to children and adults. Oh, okay. The goals of the program are to improve trust and relationship skills. One of the things we'll find is that individuals who have PTSD or have a trouble trusting people again after their mm-hmm. trauma, and they may have trouble you know, forming relationships because of that, Um, Also, another goal is to improve self-confidence. And lastly, um, to improve self-efficacy. And self-efficacy is a little different than self-confidence. I don't know if everyone is familiar with the term self-efficacy, but it's really believing that your choices matter and make a difference in your life and Mm -hmm. that you have control. So it's really one step beyond self-confidence.
1: Okay. So basically, we're looking in this aspect of riding free, when you're going to tell us about the details of the study, we're looking at kids, oftentimes, just like adults who have PTSD, they're emotionally detached, they're pulling away from people, they may be withdrawn, they may just feel kind of numb, and one of the things that's really impaired is their ability to trust, and then their self-confidence, their ability to feel like they can get their life back on track again. And you're going to see if this particular approach makes a difference on, on those levels. Am I hearing you right?
2: Yes, you are. Um, we're hoping that with those three goals, that will lead to decreased PTSD symptoms, a more balanced locus of control, and an increased quality of life. And um, what we've seen so far, um, I've done an analysis using um, data from TEN, children who've been through the program, Mm -hmm. 10 out of 20, and so far we've seen, and this is amazing, we've seen a 32% drop in the post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms as reported by the parents of the children. And to me, that's even more than I had hoped for. Some of the scores that we've seen on an individual level have been cut in half and have even gone below the diagnosis level of ptsd
1: Wow, so you're saying they improve so much that they don't even meet the mental health criteria for, for the disorder.
2: Absolutely, that's, that's what it's showing. And amazingly enough, I had one parent tell me that their child had been taken off eight medications after their time in the writing-free program.
1: Wow, now how long a program is this?
2: It's only 12 weeks, which In my opinion, I'd like to make that 24 weeks. The key is, after the initial 12 weeks, which have very specific objectives every week, that they continue. And, again, we come back to that barrier of cost. So Mm -hmm. it's so important that this research is disseminated by talking to you, by being published, so that it has an influence in insurance providers. We really need equine therapy to be covered um, as a complementary therapy for children and adults alike. Um, and so squares like this really help support that case.
1: Now, Danae, I'm just imagining the parents that are listening right now, the grandparents, the aunties, the uncles, that say, well, this is what Rudy has, or this is what, uh, you know, Charlotte has, or who, whoever there is in the family, they're, or in the extended family, or in the tribe, they're, saying, you know, these kids have this problem. I mean, they went through this uh, you know, bad situation, or they were displaced, or their their parents went through some real difficult times. This was and I can see this playing out in the kids. And they're starting to get excited about this writing free program, but just a fraction of our listeners live anywhere near Pennsylvania. Is there uh, is this a program that's nationwide, or is it something that's so new that really it is just there with Sebastian and uh, Danae Mitchell and your team?
2: Oh, Dr. DeRose, unfortunately, you're right. Um, the program is very new, and the pilot study is actually just getting wrapped up. And the pilot study is basically we're trying it out and seeing if there are areas of improvement and changes that we can make to it to improve. So, once that's done and the program is really um, as good as it can be, I do want to, my hope is that it can be offered nationally. Currently, it is not, but I am very um, helpful if anyone wants to talk to me or um, if you want to go onto Sebastian's website to learn more, you can. So, my email address, if anyone would like to talk to me, is D as dog, Mitchell. M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L at Arcadia, that's A-R-C-A-D-I dot E-D-U. Or they could go to Sebastian's website, which is SebastianRiding.org and go to the programs and you'll find a writing-free section for their programs offered. And you can learn more there.
1: Okay, let me see if I've got this all straight here. So if someone wants to contact you individually, Denae, they use your first initial, D for Denae, and then Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, at Arcadia, A-R-C-A-D-I-A dot E-D-U. Have I got that?
2: You've got it right.
1: Okay. And then Sebastian Writing Associates, could you give us that spelling?
2: Sure. It's S E B a s t i a n
1: okay so sebastian s e b a s t i a n and what's the rest of the web uh, address uh,
2: sebastian riding r i d i n g .org
1: okay so sebastianriding.org and that'll take me to the website for sebastian the facility there in Pennsylvania, and that will um, also have a link to the writing-free program. I'll, I'll see it on their homepage.
2: Yes, if you just go to the Our Programs link, and you can select from the drop-down list the writing-free program.
1: Okay, so we've got a way to get more information. You've got us interested, but I know there's a lot of folks who want to hear more about just what the program looks like. I mean, I've got a little idea. You've given us the story of Johnny. Can you maybe walk us through the program with a child? I mean, is that something you could do, what it would look like the first day and how things play out over 12 weeks?
2: Sure. I can, I can do a very brief overview, but I think it will give you a good idea. Great. So it's three months. And the first month is when we develop um, skills for trust and relationship building. And the first week, we focus on animal communication. Um, the students are taught body language. Um, the next lesson, which is week two, we go more into body language. And then it gets really good with week three when we start to talk about partnerships, starting with animal partnership and leading to human partnership.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: the students are learned that are taught that leadership plus trust equals partnership. And that's our key social skill, kind of the fundamental social skill that we're trying to relay to them. And during this time, they're forming a very strong bond with the instructor, with the volunteers, and, of course, with the horses. Hmm. So they don't actually get on a horse until the fourth week. Those first three weeks are all about getting comfortable with people, getting comfortable with the horse, bonding with the horse, learning how to communicate and how to receive communication non-verbally and verbally, and how to build up trust. Um, And then month two, we're starting to build self-confidence. So the students are starting to learn to walk on a horse, learning to ride, learning independence, where their leader takes off that lead rope and they go riding by themselves. And they're picking out their courses that they go through. They're learning how to make choices based on their decisions during the lessons, and they're learning Hmm. self-reliance. Then finally in month three, we're focusing on self-efficacy, which if you remember is kind of a step up of self-confidence where they're learning that their choices and their decisions that they make really matter and influence their life, and they can make good decisions. Um, They're learning cause and effect with reactions and cause and effect with effort. And then over, they learn how to overcome obstacles. And then finally, they learn about goals. And then they um, see their accomplishment that they've made the past 12 weeks. It's really an amazing journey.
1: Wow. Well, I have a practical question. Sure. I'm thinking about uh, a while back, I was invited to speak for a group on the Navajo Nation. And some of the folks organizing the event actually owned horses. They're also working with some various health interventions there in that uh, part of Indian country. If they're listening to the show today and they're saying, "Wow, we have horses, should we be exploring something like this? Or for a person who is not actively involved in delivering equine therapy, are we just talking about a whole area where this is professionals that need to be doing this? Uh, This is not going to be something that a person, just because they have some horses or a a tribe that that may have some type of uh, riding facility or something, can can easily implement something like this. Do, Do you see the question that I'm asking?
2: Yes, I do, and I have to say that a path certified or Eagle-A-certified equine instructor really is needed for equine therapy. Um, it's very different than, let's just say, horseback riding or leading a horse. You have specific goals. The horse kind of helps you get there, and it really is a structured program. It's a structured way of approach. It's not at all like just hopping on a horse uh, like so many people may think.
1: So the analogy that's coming to my mind is just because I might have a, a massage table and some weights and a physical therapist use those to help me doesn't mean that I should quickly get a book and find out how I can start doing physical therapy in my backyard.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's a really good analogy.
1: Okay. Danae, believe it or not, we have to step away once more, but we've got a final segment coming up. You can stay by, right? Yes. Well, I know you've got some other very exciting stuff to tell us about the impact of the Riding Free program, things that I think will get you inspired, whether you're listening from the standpoint of an interest in programs uh, at your tribe or other opportunities for a clinic or for direction that you can go to help young people and Older people make improvements in a host of areas. We'll be back with more from Danae Mitchell. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay tuned.
0: Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: We are back with our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We're talking about a subject that is really connecting us with some deeply held First Nation values, connecting with nature, connecting with animals around us. Danae Mitchell has been telling us what I think is some exciting information about equine therapy and how it can make a difference when it comes to the mental health of children. Danae, make sure I'm understanding this correctly. The Riding Free Program, although the pilot study you're finishing up has been focused on children, Riding Free is really designed to be used across the age range. Is that correct? You're correct. So basically, anyone listening today who is uh, getting excited about this, especially if they have mental health issues, especially PTSD, they want to keep their ear to the ground, so to speak, and continue to listen to what comes out of your research, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. It can be applied across all generations.
1: So, Danae, We've been focused on the kids, and that's natural because they're the ones suffering with this uh, condition, this PTSD, in the case of your study. But everyone knows if a child is suffering, the parents, the grandparents, the tribe in a tribal setting, a reservation, wherever that might be, tribal community in an urban setting, they're being affected as well. Did you have any chance to look at anything beyond the impressive impact you've demonstrated in the kids?
2: Yes, and uh, absolutely, we found that the families as a whole healed as the child went through the program. That it wasn't only the child healing and overcoming their challenges; it was the parents, um, and that was something I didn't expect. You know, I was really focused on the child and the individual when we got started with the program, and it was just really amazing how it helped the whole family. Um, parents had said while their child grew emotionally, they gained confidence and verbalized their trauma. It helped the parents grow and really have a better relationship with their child and gain an understanding that maybe they didn't have before. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me, Danae, is often when we're doing research, if we're not looking for something, sometimes we don't see it. Was it just parents that just came up to you spontaneously or was there some component in your research where you were, in a structured way, interviewing the parents?
2: Um, well, both, actually. I would have to say, and, and this may seem amazing, but we have pretty much every parent came up to us, uh, that meaning Chris Hatterberry, the lead instructor, or myself, to inform us of the power of the program mm-hmm. and how much it changed their child's life. We had families and mothers come up to us and say their child feels empowered, um, their child is learning that they gained control of their life, and and not just the trauma controls their life anymore. Um, we've learned that the children have developed passion and drive, which of course helps the parents whenever they're managing, you know, the household. The children learn to have aspirations for the future. One of the children wants to be a vet now after they've gone through the the program. And some family, a mother came up to me and said that they they just couldn't imagine not ever having this experience for their child and their family. Um, it's just really been amazing. And so we did have uh, parents come up to us and volunteer that information. And then we also just had open-ended interviews with them, too, as a more casual setting.
1: Now, if you are doing something, like you said, like the open-ended interviews where you don't have a scripted dialogue or questions, you probably were capturing some of their responses, right? You were actually recording things or yes, transcribing yes. things? Yeah, so
2: actually what we did was we just turned on the recorder and said, what would you like to say about the program? There were no no questions at all. And so it was really just, what would you like to say about the program? And we just got a wealth of information from the parents.
1: Now, when you were presenting there at the American Public Health Association meetings, you had not fully completed your research, and that still hasn't happened. Am I correct?
2: That's correct. When I was at the American Public Health Association's annual conference, I was presenting on... um, the 10 children at that time who had completed the program. Actually, they completed the research. So we have the program, which is going on all the time, and then we have the research, which is separate. So yes, 10 children completed the research program, and now um, we're hoping to have another 10 go through, and we actually have 19 so far. So we hope to have one person go through, and then we'll do a collective analysis and presentation of the whole research, including 12 students.
1: Wow, great.
2: I'm sorry, 20. I said 12. 20.
1: Good, good. I'm I'm glad you're you're keeping us honest with the math. (laughs) So you basically have already seen enough to say this is something really worth continuing, and people can join the writing-free program at Sebastian, totally apart from the study, right?
2: Absolutely, and they do, and, and we're seeing a lot of people happy with it and continuing on and actually spreading the word. So apart from the presentations and my talk with you, you know, we don't do a lot of advertising for it. It's all word of mouth, and more and more people are hearing about it, and we're getting more and more um, children and adults uh, lined up to be in the program.
1: Now, we have such a diverse audience that listens to American Indian Living. I would not be surprised if there are a number of people who do have formal training in equine therapy and are interested in learning more about this. There are probably other people that are just wondering where they can get connected with maybe some people who have this background, this training in their environment. You have made yourself available to help connect some of those dots. If people have just joined us for this segment, can you give us your contact information again, please, Danae?
2: Absolutely. It's D Mitchell, and that is D as in dog, M I T C H, E L L, at arcadia.edu, spelled A R C, A D I A, dot edu. And they could always go to the Sebastian Writing website, which is SebastianWriting.org, spelled S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N-R-I-D-I-N-G dot
1: O-R-G. Okay, so whether they go to SebastianWriting.org and navigate through that list we talked about earlier, our programs, and they could find writing free, correct? Yes. Or whether they go directly to Danae at dmitchell at arcadia.edu. There's a lot more information out there, isn't there?
2: There is. Uh, there's so much. There's a wealth of information. If you're interested just in learning more about equine therapy as a whole, you could go to PATH.org. PATH is the uh, Certifying Professional Association of Therapeutic Horsemanship that the Sebastian Riding instructors have and you can find research articles on there you can find more about equine therapy in general it's a really good resource
1: that's tremendous and it's simply path p-a-t-h dot org
2: that's right
1: wow how did they get that website
2: i don't know they were lucky <laughs>
1: okay so path that is one of these uh, certifying organizations for equine uh, therapists correct
2: that's correct
1: you know, one other thing as we're as we're finishing up the show, Danae, a lot of people out there when they deal with mental health issues, especially when it's in a child, there's a sense of frustration, there's a sense of hopelessness. We've heard things that I would say give me hope, additional hope in this area. But just speak to us from your heart. What what kind of how would you like to encourage a parent, a grandparent, if they're dealing with mental health issues in a child?
2: Well, first of all, I'd like to tell them that you're not alone, that there are many parents out there who are going through what you and your child are going through. And there's one thing I learned through the program is I, the parents had said, you know, they thought they were the only ones, mm-hmm. and it was a good way for them to get connected. There's hope. Your child can get better. You can get better if you're suffering from PTSD. There are a lot of people who care, and and just find your local resources or email me, and I will help lead you to resources to get get help.
1: Danae, thanks so much because that is, is such an encouraging message. There's help. There's hope out there. And probably many of you did not have uh, equine therapy on your list of things that could make a big difference in your child's mental health. But definitely, it's something on my list right now, uh, Danae. You don't think that's a mistake, do you?
2: Not at all. That's wonderful.
1: <laughs> okay, we do have to run. We've been talking with Danae Mitchell. Uh, Danae, again, can be reached at d.mitchell@arcadia.edu. at arcadia.edu. She's an adjunct professor there at Arcadia University. She is also the pioneer of the writing. Free program and the pilot study there at Sebastian, and uh, they're great programs for equine therapy. I'm Dr. David DeRose. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm hoping that today's show, as always, helps you to enjoy the very best of health.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.